Let's Talk PR and More. Public relations, media, publicity, integrated communications, marketing, digital, reputation management, and more. Let's Talk PR and More with award-winning PR strategist, Sherry Goldman. I'm Sherry Goldman, president of Goldman Communications Group, and welcome to Let's Talk PR and More. My guest today is Mike Paul. Mike is president and CEO of Reputation Doctor LLC and is an award-winning global public relations and marketing executive. He's considered one of the top risk management, corporate communications, and litigation communications experts, advising clients in the corporate, government, and NGO sectors on a wide variety of issues, including issues related to the pandemic, product recall, and financial issues. Mike is a frequent guest commentator in the media on risk management and crisis management, and is also global news anchor and executive producer of the digital show Reputations in Crisis, which is on YouTube. So as you can imagine, we're going to be talking reputation management and crisis communications today. So welcome, Mike. Good to have you here. Sherry, so glad to be here. Let's get started. Reputation management, risk management, some of the most critical things a company, an organization, and its leadership needs to do, needs to understand, needs to prioritize. Yet, in my experience, I'm going to say they don't always do that, which is why they call you and they call me. And in this environment of 24-7 media and gotcha media, social media, it only takes a nanosecond to destroy a reputation that's taken years or more to build. What are the vulnerabilities today? What Let's get started. What, where, where does reputation stand today, and why is it so vulnerable? Well, thanks, Sherry, for having me. And, you know, crises, risk management, uh, reputations in crisis, brands in crisis. <laughs> That's all we do at Reputation Doctor. Um, this is my 31st year in the business. Wow. I started my career after working in politics as a top aide. Uh, then the number one firm in the world, Burson Marsteller. I then was recruited away less than a year and a half after starting that program by Hill and Knowlton, then the number two firm in the world, where I was an executive running the public affairs and issues management group in the New York office, the largest office at the time. And less than a year and a half later, I was recruited away by a client, MCI, to leave Hill and Knowlton. And then when I left MCI, MCI was going through a merger with WorldCom. We all know the crises that WorldCom had, uh, so it was time to leave, and I started one of the first virtual crisis PR firms in the world called MGP and Associates, and after 19 and a half years, sold the assets of that first firm to my freelancers, took six months off, started Reputation Doctor, which was a nickname, became a trademark, and is now the name of one of the leading crisis PR firms in the world. We're considered top three, so we're pretty excited about that. Congratulations. That's fabulous. Thank you. What's happening in the world? So one of the biggest things that we have done over the last four years, just before the pandemic really hit, and the timing was perfect for us, was we pivoted to do a lot more CEO advisory and board of director work at the top level, top 1%. I have been counseling C-suites and boards for 31 years, but the pivot allowed us to utilize those CEOs and organizations that we've helped and passed through crises, as well as recommendations from those that we've worked in past to others 
to really help during the pandemic with some very big issues. What were some so of the some issues of the, facing them during the pandemic? Well, number one, everyone had to be virtual. We were saying we were saying things like hybrid. When, right. we, when we're talking about March of 2020, there was no hybrid, right? No, and I think were, we went were, into lockdown. <laughs> I think it was one Friday and the next Monday you were in lockdown. Well, we went into lockdown, but you still had CEOs and boards saying things like, we're going to go hybrid soon. And I'm going, what are you talking about? I'll use the capital of business, the capital of media, the capital of finance, New York City. As you said, we're shut down. Yeah. <laughs> Only required workers were allowed to even be on the subway at that time. And there weren't many. The subways are pretty empty, thankfully. <laughs> Right. But if you were a hospital worker or you were working for the police department or the fire department, um, you know, you were allowed to be on the subway. But other than that, you weren't supposed to be on any of those public options for transportation. Um, so some of the top five issues that are happening right now at the corporate board level. First of all, let me frame it by saying this. Just being an independent director on a public corporate board today has more risk than ever before. Why is that? That's so interesting to hear you say that. Why is that? And I'll, uh, and I'll add to that, D&O insurance for those officers takes further questions to prove that you're an expert, and there are some that are signing these documents without experience. So, for example, if you're an 82-year-old board member, and yes, there are board members at that age, of course. at risk of being called an ageist. Let me explain why. That's a heavy risk. At that age, you probably don't understand AI in a very deep level. You don't understand cybersecurity in a very deep level. You don't understand risk management on a corporate board in the 21st century at that level. You don't understand the digital economy that we're talking about things being much more virtual than ever before. You don't understand um, some of the aspects of the, of the challenges that a typical worker is going through today in the world, like how are we paying for health care to allow our workers to be freed up to do the work today? Who pays for that? Where's that money coming from? Is that an added benefit that you have? And if somebody has been working virtually or hybrid one or two days a week on average for the last three years, how are they able to do so when they have families? Major, major issues that most leaders now at that age with the experiences that they had in past are totally at risk in just being an independent director. I'll give an example. I had a client that I found out signed for updated DNO insurance to be on a board, checked the box that he said he believes that he's an expert in cybersecurity. And privately I said to him, what are you doing? <laughs> well, Mike, I went to a seminar. I said, you went to a seminar and you feel comfortable to check that box? Are you kidding me? You're on the board of a Fortune 100 global company. But this is the history then, when you peel back, of what you were able to get away with with risk in past. Do they, so they don't either, do they not understand the risk or they think, no biggie, if you sue us, we're 
I'm on the board of a Fortune 100 company. You know, we've got well, lots we're, of lawyers. Well, we're we're going to deflect. Not going to be a problem. Well, that's not how it works. I, you would know that. Lawyers, I know that. But that's... The lawyer, so, so let me tell you why they're taking the risk. Because they were able to do things similarly in past that were still risky, but most people wouldn't find out. And in today's environment, transparency, if we're not teaching our clients that privacy is dead, then they're all at risk. Oh, but social media 24-7, let's say, gotcha, there is no keeping secrets. It may take a little bit more to get out, but nothing will be kept secret anymore. So if you're a shareholder or you're an activist investor and you find out that these kind of things, this type of risk is on the board of which you, right, Right. Are the leaders because you are the shareholders and they the, the board's the top, even above the C suite, but guess who the board works for? The shareholders. Absolutely. So if you find out, as you say, through social media or leaks or a disgruntled employee or a good investigative report or from a news media having access to someone who is telling you what's going on on the inside and these things are then released. Now you have board members that go, are we protected? And the attorney goes, what are you talking about? Of course not. That's why we're having <laughs> this meeting. That's why we're in a war room. That's why we said things like, guys, you really need to add three or four or five new board members, and that means some of you have to step down. And it's not just okay because you went to college with the CEO to be in a board anymore. Does that happen? Yes. Does it happen in large numbers? Yes or your fellow CEO of another major corporation that doesn't compete with you head-to-head, but again, not an expert in AI, not an expert in cybersecurity, not up-to-date on risk management in the digital world, not up-to-date on what it means to not focus on office towers, 75, let's say, in 21 countries, when the data now says your workers, on average, are working from home. Do they have the tools to do their job? Or are you just going to yell that they need to be in the office no matter what? That's happening now more than ever. And this, the paradigm has shifted globally for life. Oh, absolutely. The business paradigm has shifted forever. We're never going back to five days a week in the office anymore. The office towers, many of them are going to be turned into housing of which we need more in every major city in the world. Mm-hmm. And commuting in an hour and a half or even an hour Done. to go to work Done. is dead. <laughs> dead. I agree with you. So here's my question to you based upon what you say, and I agree with everything. The executives, the leaders, the boards need to bring in the use, the reputation doctor, the, the, me, the people who do crisis or understand this, before they have a crisis, right? They need us to counsel them and guide them so they don't have, so they understand their risk and don't have a crisis. Are they doing that? So they're not. Human nature <laughs> says we only act when we are in crisis. Crisis preparedness, crisis preparedness drills, I tra- tabletops that you do for boards, so that they can go through what it would be like to have a cyber attack, for example, Absolutely. on data, or to learn what could happen when AI does something today and it's associated with their brand 
whether it's true or not, and the stock's getting hit? The answer to those questions is, are they doing it preventatively? No. Now, here's the opportunity. As we know, in crises, there are opportunities. The opportunity is, I don't care what age you are, I don't care what background you are, if you are not able to check the boxes on those five key areas, and so many more, but the five key AI, cybersecurity, uh, dealing with the digital economy, um, the systems needed in the data and analytics in a 21st century workforce, the pivot from being in the office to being hybrid or virtual, and the uh, benefits, including childcare that your workers need, and so many other things that they will need, including the complaint that corporate culture can't be built virtually. That's a lie. It just takes more work. How do I know? It takes more work. You've done it. (laughs) I've been doing it for 30 years. I hear you. Executive senior consultants all over the world. The question is, when someone says that, is that the right leader to be in the C-suite or to be on the board in the 21st century? That's the key question. And And if the answer is no, that means the positions open up. Boards should be changing. So if on average you have 10 to 12 board members, probably five of those seats should be opening up to reduce the risk on the board, which reduces the risk for the entire enterprise by replacing old experts with new experts. Old in age many times, which is a correlation to the lack of experience. Why do I say that? Why am I taking the risk to be called an ageist? Because if you don't have the experience and someone younger than you on average, I'm just reading what the data is telling me all over the world. I hear you. That someone that's younger, maybe in their 50s or some of them in their 40s, who need to be in the C-suite on the board versus being 70 or 80 on average, why are we surprised that we have boards like that? Because no one has the intestinal fortitude to speak up and not just say you're old, get off, but back it up with data to say you don't have these areas of experience. And if you're going to be ethical and you're going to be moral in your decision-making and it's going to be led by values, which also builds trust, the ultimate currency, then we need to have the intestinal fortitude to take a vote and say we need change and target based on data not ego and just complaints, right? Tommy, these five areas, you've been on the public record in meetings and going, that's not important. Do you understand it? No, but it's not important. Let's lean on these five things. With all due respect, Tommy, those five things are not burning crises in our enterprise right now. These are. And you're not able to even have a conversation about it at depth because you have zero experience in these five key areas and it's too big a risk for our enterprise, we're asking you now to step down. That's got to happen every single board meeting to two or three on average per meeting to get the experts that are needed, not just consultants, but experts in cyber sitting on the board before you even think about hiring a consultant who has the experience to say the systems globally need to be invested in to change, who have the experience to say, Maybe we need to get rid of one-third of our offices globally, and here's why. And I have experience in doing so because I've worked for some of the largest real estate entities in the world, and this is what's happening in real time right now to our competitors 
or eating us for lunch. You reduce footprint of that size and you put that money into the investment of your people who are now working virtually and, and from a hybrid perspective, you're going to win. If you wait and continue to say, no, 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 we're going to continue with all these offices. Yeah, we know they're half empty. We know we have bills that are continuing to pile up. We have areas of expertise that are literally as old as the day after post-World War II, <laughs> and we still think that we're going to make money that way. Let's look at our industry. Here's my prediction. In 2024, we're going to see more mergers than ever before in the public relations, marketing, and advertising industry. Interesting. Why? why? Yeah, well, I was going to say why, because certainly we've gone through years of consolidation, a few chunks over the long haul. The amount of change that happened in the last four years based on what the pandemic did to society means that things like B2B and B2C isn't done the same way. The crisis division, almost straight up numbers. Some of the other numbers in our industry, they've been lying about <laughs> until they start laying off large amounts of people. You're going to see some more layoffs before the end of the year. You're going to see mergers next year. You're going to see even potentially a powerhouse or two be at the numbers that Edelman currently has passing the billion dollar level. I'll give you an example. If a medium sized firm and a number two and number three and number four firm merge early in 2024, they beat Edelman. Oh, absolutely. Because some of them are close. Not there. That's a but risk. They're close, yeah. That's a risk. Some of, the, some of the firms who consolidate and close some divisions and invest in other areas like tech and crisis and healthcare. They're going to win. A lot of them are investing now in they're buying digital firms. They're buying. They're they're moving into. Now, why do you think that is? Let's use that as an example. So they're starting to buy digital firms, which means that the old paradigm is dying. But do you think just buying a digital firm that is one fifth the size of the rest of the enterprise is a solution, or nope. does it also include <laughs> the reason why you're interested in a digital firm? You need to get rid of other divisions that don't work anymore, which is what the digital firm is going to tell you if they do an analysis of the overall enterprise once they move Well, because they're saying the money's going towards paid and digital and, 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 and the analytics. Obviously, they love the analytics to talk about. We can That's prove correct. what we did, the results. Um, whereas, you know, the old, we'll do publicity, we'll do events, the, the, the fun, the fluffy stuff. I don't want to call it fluffy. They'll go, you know, it's not as revenue driven, but you'll have a. Well, hold on. Let's, let's talk about events and let's talk about meetings for a second. So the, the data and analytics say that people are not leaving their homes or they're going and flying and visiting with clients more so than ever before. That's what a digital economy says, right? You're not sitting in that office building seat. Right. So if that's true, why are you still doing events and expecting people to come in just for your event? Even if it's awards, I know for a fact, based on research, that some of the trade magazines that we read in our industry are dying on the vine. They're nervous. We're getting, and you probably know the ones I'm talking about without naming them, at least three or four times a week, 
they're seeking to give us discounts to continue with those magazines. Oh, my God. I Like, the spam is crazy, what I get for email spam. Yep. <laughs> but, but let me tell you, why is that? Because there's no news. It's all events and awards and panels. And sponsored content. So if I'm going to read because somebody paid them to run something, that's not news to me. We know how to fast forward through ads on TV. We're not going to do that in our inbox. We're not going to do that when... We're reading something. We, we do it with everything today, right? Mm-hmm. Now, they're not having these meetings because if they were having these meetings and understanding these realities, they would make change as news organizations, right? So if we're all learning and attending events, in quotes, online now more than ever before, if you do an in-person event, it has to be excellent top five percent that's not the slop that's out there right now (laughs) there are events that you and i will still go to many of them are not in our industry right even the networking that's happening now for holiday events before we all shut down before the holidays you're picking and choosing which ones you are going to go to that you believe are worth it And you're also deciding which Zoom calls or Zoom events you're going to attend from a learning perspective or a networking perspective because your time is money. You don't have time to waste. But if you're going to get on a train, a subway, or travel in a car, to get to an event in person today, it's a high bar to be successful because we've gone to enough junk that we now delete those messages much more so than ever before because we know what excellence is. It includes heavy networking. It doesn't include six to eight people on a panel because somebody gave you sponsorship money and you're shoving people on a panel. And then when you get a review back of how the panel was, people say it was horrible because each person only had one soundbite. And the moderator took up the majority of the time saying nothing. I mean, this is what we do for a living, but we're still doing it. We're stuck in our, many people are stuck in their old ways. There's no question. And you can't do that anymore. The paradigm is dead. That's exactly right. So then the question is, what's the new paradigm? And the new paradigm is younger, quicker, more technology, If you hate technology, going back to that ageist position again, that being risky, saying it again, if you hate technology, it's like you hating reading. When my son was in kindergarten and he was really getting into reading, and at times he would be lazy and say, "Ah, I don't want to do that. And I said, hey, buddy, I need you to know the basis of all learning is going to be tied to your ability to read words. Really, Dad? Yeah. I said, so we're going to spend more time on this so that you get to love it. We'll choose different books. We'll spend time. Sometimes I'll read. Sometimes you'll read to me. And we're going to make it fun. But I'm telling you, if you, even the game you want to play, I'm not going to go over there and read it for you. You've got to read what the next step is. How do you beat this character? So making it fun for him and saying, well, I want to know how to do that. Okay, do this homework and study and you'll be able to do this better. That's the exact same thing we're telling to 80- and 70-year-old board members now. That's crazy, right? Hey, we're all- Mike, I have five people that do that for me. They look over my shoulder. 
I go, Tom, those days are over. Looking over your shoulder, Sally's at home trying to help you, and you're saying you don't know how to open up the Zoom. Or I've never opened up the PowerPoint myself. Or I don't know how to open that Excel, Excel spreadsheet. Those are the kind of things in real time that we started getting calls about in 2020. And we had to have the patience to teach very powerful men, usually older, how to pivot and say, you have to tell your mind Sally's still there. But she's in New Jersey at home helping you open the Zoom. You have to have patience. She's not going to do it for you. She's going to instruct you and guide you in how to do it yourself. And you're going to work together virtually. And when they calm their expectations and calm their anxiety, they said, wow, I can actually do this. But they were afraid of it before. I hear you. Hey, we only have like another minute or two. And I just want to ask you, how is AI changing the game on risk management and crisis reputation from your perspective? Because it's when, certainly throwing the world upside down, in my opinion. So here's the soundbite. <laughs> when you have something created by a robot or technology or software or is able to learn digitally like a human being in the speeds that we've never seen before, it should scare us. Now, there are some that are saying this is similar to just any other technology. It gets better. We have to have patience. We'll make mistakes. But some of the mistakes that can be made with these tools now, these AI tools, should give us more fear than we ever had before. So, for example, is this mic talking to you right now? Or is it AI that's calling a family member, let's say my mother, and saying, Hi, Mom. It's me. I'm sick in the hospital. I, I forgot my credit card. It sounds exactly like me. It scares the hell out of a family member. Absolutely. It scares and, me. And she sends thousands of dollars to someone that is not a human being who's speaking, but a fraudulent human being on the other side is receiving the money. Or a brand you've created for 25 years as an actor or an athlete or an elected official, or an enterprise, is faked with a deep fake that is so realistic, you think it's that entity or person. So the ability to distinguish between truth and lies and reality or fantasy has been crossed already. And those are just a few of the dangers of AI. It's going to have a regulatory government imposed, which some people don't like, ability to stop some of it to protect citizens all over the world and there's going to be competition to like a lot of different technologies still do things fraudulently but then an opportunity to correct it by allowing you to check it and have truth and that war is going to go on forever the same way it goes uh on today with other brands. For example, New York just busted one of the biggest rings of fake goods. I saw that. Fake brands coming into New York City. And this is the time that they wanted to make sure that bus was made globally aware. They do those busts all the time. But they wanted to bust something big to say, uh-uh-uh, don't come into the United States. Don't come into New York with this. You're going to get busted. 
but they've been seeking to control it and stop it for decades. There's always going to be someone that takes the risk. The question is, do we bust them and do they get caught? Or worse, you as a consumer, you might think it's real. Some people buy it knowing that it's a fake, which is what we have to cut down on. That's why they're saying, be careful. You can get busted, too, by buying fake things, not just the sellers. And the authenticity of those brands are at risk, which is why the brands are helping law enforcement to catch those who are doing well. And and that's, I guess, where we're going to end. We can talk about this forever, you and I. There's more to talk about. There's crises in the world. Always crises, and we certainly have to manage them, and people need to do a better job and be aware. So, Mike, thanks so much for being here today. I've so enjoyed talking to you. Thank you. Sherry, thank you for having me. Reputation doctor in the house. Glad to be here. (laughs) That's Let's Talk PR and more for today. You can find more information about the show and about me at Goldman Communications Group's website, www.goldmanpr.net. And if you want to hear a show again, you can listen to the podcast, which is posted on Goldman Communications Group website, as well as on your favorite podcast sites, including Apple, Spotify, Amazon, and iHeart. Thank you again for listening. I look forward to talking PR and more with you all again next week.